I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Oh, yes. Reality. Hard science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> you had me at Cycler on this one. <laughs> oh, I love the, this book. The, the Aldrin Express. The or whatever Aldrin it's Cycler. Yes, I love yes. it. I love it so much. Um, Yeah, this is episode 287, and we're going to talk about The Last Dance, which is a hard science fiction novel by Martin L. Shoemaker. Yes, this is one that I found on um, the Amazon Prime deal where they offer you a chance to get a book or two free at the beginning of every month. And they almost never have categories that I like, you know, (laughs) but... I always look to see if there is something for science fiction, which is very rare. And oh, cool. this is when I found that way. I love it. I was, oh, I'm so yeah. glad you did, too, because um, it was written in uh, 2019, I believe. It looks yeah, like it was, there's some stories that may have been written earlier. Mm-hmm. It's pretty – I knew it was in the last couple of years or so. And um, I immediately liked it because it felt like old science fiction – And by this, I mean something maybe, without being in the exact style, something that Asimov would have written or Heinlein or, you know, one of those classic solid writers where they're not trying to push some agenda. They're just interested in the story and telling it to you. Yes. It definitely had that feel. So it was like um, modern and mm -hmm. throwback at the same time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And I knew you would like it, Scott, because they explain how they do things a lot. <laughs> Which was awesome. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I was yeah. reading it going, oh, my gosh, there's so much of this oh, stuff in here. He is going to so love good. it. Oh, but the thing yes. was they managed to do it in a way that wasn't just stopping telling the story and being all science-y. Mm-hmm. That's the part I don't like is when they just stop and go, now let me tell you the details. They did it, but it was also moving the story along. Right. Yeah. So, As you know, um, Bob. <laughs> yeah. That's well, what they used to call that, right? As you know, Bob, <laughs> those moments in the stories. Were, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because it was the thing where I'm thinking of um, there's a section where uh, somebody's telling about a having to clean up a lot of dust. Mm. They're in Mars. There's been a horrible wreck, and they're having to clean all this dust away so they can even see what's there that they can salvage. Mm-hmm. But the way that the person is discovering things and what they're going to, they're, oh, this was on the list that we needed. Oh, this. And I had to be careful because of that. And oh, no. Then I thought about this person whose suit I was wearing. Yes. So they wound enough Mm -hmm. of the story into it and the realizations the person has, which is just what would happen while you're working alone. (laughs) You're thinking about what happened. And so it was written in such a good way that I enjoyed all those parts. Great. That's good. Yeah. 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 And I enjoyed all those parts too, obviously. Well, yeah. <laughs> those were the they, very best parts <laughs> of all the parts. If only um, they had the manual pictures, it would have been perfect. But, you know. You bet. You bet. <laughs> oh, this okay. idea of the, the Aldrin Cycler, I honestly don't know that I've come across it before. And, okay. um what a beautiful thing that is. I, I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since since I read the prologue. <laughs> 
Yeah, sure was. I totally skipped that part. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I knew you'd love so, it. <laughs> so yeah, so so Buzz Aldrin is uh, one of the astronauts that went to the moon in Apollo Eleven, and he was a celestial mechanics guy. And I guess uh, according to the opening of this book, a little you know uh, prologue or whatever, um, in 1985 or so, he participated in a paper. I'm not sure if he was the only one that wrote it. I need to find it, and I will. Um, but it's, um, he figured out a way, uh, to make a ship that'll just go between Mars and the earth with very, very little fuel. The only fuel you need once it gets going is just the little course adjustments. Um, and the idea is that it, uh, it passes by earth and as it's passing by earth, it doesn't stop there. As it passes by, you would launch something from Earth and dock to it, and then the people that want to go to Mars would get on this Aldrin cycler, and then uh, they'd separate, and that ship would go back to the Earth, while the Aldrin cycler would make its way to the Mars in five months. And then it would pass close to Mars, not stop there. People from Mars would launch something to rendezvous with that ship, and then take the people that just rode that five months to get to Mars, you know, like a little bus, right? And then they'd get off and, and land on Mars. And then that ship would continue to go past Mars. And then it takes 21 months to get back to the Earth. And then it just does that over and over and over using like Mars gravity to speed itself up and Earth gravity to speed itself up. And just so they do it again with very little fuel. So all the ships that went to the outer planets, the robot ships use the same kind of techniques where they'd launch it to Mars and then wing it around Mars and shoot it over to Jupiter and mm -hmm. stuff. So it's been proven that things can work this way, <clears throat> but I had yeah. never thought of it. It's almost a perpetual motion machine, but not quite. You have to right. be able to aim it correctly. Well, and it's funny because I love the thing where it said he was so well known. Buzz Aldrin was so well known for this idea that, um, and he was selected for this idea because it was his doctoral thesis. Yeah. And it says the other astronauts soon nicknamed him Dr. Rendezvous. Dr. As a Rendezvous. Result. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that. I love so it. this yep. whole idea, uh, and I, I read the first two paragraphs. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> I know you probably read it five times, but mm -hmm. I didn't, yeah. I didn't care. And uh, cause that's who I am. But <laughs> the thing that was, interesting about it is a lot of the action that's in the book doesn't really happen on this um, little what is it cycler mm -hmm. it's this so there's the story let me just quickly say the story itself you'd almost call it a fix it novel a fix it up novel isn't that yeah, it what they call right. it when it's yeah. they have uh, the little stories that they collect and put together with a little framework but this is clearly written Mm -hmm. He may be using other stories that he wrote, but they've clearly been written to be part of the book. So the whole idea is that the captain of this cycler, his name is Nick Ames, and he is being accused of mutiny. Mm -hmm. And the inspector general uh, has been, an, an inspector general has been named to come and investigate it, who's neutral. And she is young. She was the only person they could get out there fast enough to make it happen so that they, while the Aldrin was in the part of the orbit where they could pick her up, 
on the way to wherever else they were going. Mars, I guess, Mm -hmm. obviously. So (laughs) what they were doing was um, getting her on there. She is investigating. And this guy is very well known, the guy she's investigating. And what he's known for is not always complimentary. So there's a lot of bad talk about him from everyone. And she thinks she knows already what the situation is, but she's got to investigate from the people on the, the crew. But the crew is part of the mutiny <laughs> that he did against the authorities. And none of them will talk to her because they're so loyal to the captain. So what she winds up doing is getting these key people as she comes across them and saying, I just want to get to know who he is better in context because that's the person you're defending. And all I'm seeing is the outside information. So off the record, tell Mm. me, I will not (laughs) use this. It will not be part of the investigation, but it will inform me when I question him. Nice. And so that, yeah. So that way what you get are a series of different stories. And it's interesting because they're about really different things, even though they're all in outer space. So one of them is about a uh, young man, who is very rich. He's not going to obey any of the rules. He thinks he knows everything, but the captain has authority over him because of their position in space. And he won't let him go to Mars or get off the ship at Mars unless he fulfills certain requirements. Um, And this told from the doctor's point of view. Um, Another one is there's a big famous crash landing evidently that happened. And the person who's telling the story says, I was there. I was one of the crew members let me tell you about what happened. And it goes all the way on through a few other stories. And um, so from all these different people's points of view, you get to see what the captain's like. And at the same time, a lot of things are happening on this cycler as different factions, so to speak, are battling it out over who's going to control stuff. Does that make sense? It makes it sound like there's open warfare. There isn't, but it's... um, administrative battling, I guess right, I should right. say. Right, Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah. So I guess the, the framing story, this inspector general is on that ship, the cycler ship, right. but people are telling stories about the past and some of those stories don't occur on the ship. They occur like on Mars or, right. um, but the story that you just related about the, the rich guy was on the cycler. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I thought that was a really cool way to tell a story too. Um, I'm reminded of the Kane mutiny, which we've done. Um, oh, yeah. You know, remember, uh, was it Queequeg? <laughs> was that his name? Um, or Queeg? Queeg, yeah, Queeg, right. Queeg, um, I feel like, isn't that the Moby Dick? Maybe, maybe uh, you're right. Native. Yeah, right. But it was something like oh. that. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wasn't present um, during a lot of that investigation, you know, in the book anyway. So, but, um, you know, people, you know, anyway, it just reminded me of that. It had, it had a feel and, and having, it's been so long since I've read that book that I don't remember if there's a really tight relationship. That was a long time ago. Yeah. But it's, it's written in, I just remembered the clarity of it. You know, that that book was written in the fifties, if I remember right. And Mm -hmm. it was just really clear. And, And that's the way that this book is. It's, um, really well written. I thought, and um, very interesting throughout. Um, but you're learning about this character of Nick Ames, Captain Nick Ames, 
through all these other people at various phases of his life telling stories about him. And, you know, by the end, well, after every story, it's like you, you have this new image of him. And then yeah. that's another interesting aspect of it that's um, just a really nice, nicely created piece. Well, yeah, and it's funny because each person kind of has the same opinion of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't read it, but the situations they were in are also very different. Yes. That showing how the captain acts in all those different situations for everybody to wind up with the same opinion of him. And it's not just, and now we're best friends. <laughs> that is not their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it takes a good kind of storytelling, I think, to show it from all these different points of view consistently. Yeah, I agree. So <clears throat> really pleased. Yeah. Thought he was great. And yeah. um, I should note, too, that this is um, the Near Earth Mysteries book one. And there is a book, too, called The Last Campaign, which was published in 2020. Yeah, and I haven't tried that, although I had somebody leave a comment on my review, possibly somewhere. Maybe it was Goodreads. I don't remember. Anyway, that said, oh, we love this book so much. My husband and I are going to read the second one. And then they came back and went, don't, don't, don't Mm -hmm. spend your time on the second one. I was like, oh, no. So I haven't gotten to it. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, I've got to try it, so. <laughs> okay, well, Scott, I know I can trust you to go ahead in the face of warnings. In the face of warnings. That's the kind of guy you are. Uh, sometimes, I think, sometimes I watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Oh. Even though it has bad reviews. Oh, no. <laughs> You're so brave. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, mm. but I think that's probably all people need to know. I have also, this is my third time reading it, and the second time, I listened to the audiobook, which is really excellent. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have different voices doing the different uh, people's sections for their stories. Nice. And then, that you know, is a so, great way um, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it kind of really takes you into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, if anybody wants to try it that way. Great. 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 Okay. Great. Yeah. So, into spoiler territory we go. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. I love the thing it. I liked mm-hmm. is everybody ends up, and she's like, and so now you're good friends. Oh, no, I'm, I'm not <laughs> friends. Oh, no, I don't yeah. like him. It's like I a, respect him. Yeah, it's like a deep respect <laughs> and a trusting, right? It's like, yeah. I know what he's about, and therefore I can kind of deal with him. And I could also trust, it's like competence, you know? It's mm-hmm. like I can trust this person. Yeah, he doesn't care if you like him. He cares if you're right. Yes. And honest. Yeah. Right. And admit mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's He's all about that kind of transparency. Yeah, that's right. And, he's, and it makes him tough. But it also makes him, as we see in all these circumstances, ultimately trustworthy. He's going to get you home, if anyone can. That's right. I have a quote here highlighted. It says, uh, Nick Ames is absolutely obsessed with being right and correcting himself or others when they are wrong. He has that sense we see in children, but most of us outgrow. Everything must be right, must be in order, or he cannot be at peace. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd forgotten that thing about saying this is what most children outgrow. Mm -hmm. Because at the very end of the book, he has hit Mm. the step that most children have to learn, right? Yes, right. So um, in order to mm. 
save him from the ultimate results of everything that's happened. Wow. And to make the outcome mm-hmm. work for everyone, the admiral <laughs> turned in a, a fake admission that she did everything. She ordered it. It's all her fault. She's taking it on her. And he doesn't want to sign it. And she says, everything everybody has done, says the inspector general, who is this, who is this young uh, Korean woman who also is a very great character. I really like her a lot because she's finding her way. She's having to thread through all this and make all this work in a way that Nick Ames can't do. He's got an answer that she winds up using, but she has to take it and nuance it and make everybody happy with it Hmm. and still be true to what needs to happen. Yes. So, yeah. So in that way, she's light years ahead of Nick Ames. And um, so she's saying, if you do this, you're taking away everything everyone has done here. Mm Mm-hmm. And it says, Ames stared at me. For several seconds, he said nothing. I realized he was trembling. At last, he found his voice. But it's wrong. Hmm. I looked at him with pity. In order for him to get the result he had worked so hard for, he had to give up his obsession with truth. He had to accept and endorse a wrong answer. I could see how this was tearing him apart, and I felt horrid for putting him through this ordeal. But like him, I had no choice. So I spoke very softly. It's all right, Ames. Sometimes it's all right to be wrong for the right reason. <laughs> and that's that connecting with the step that he never took, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. how can you see an even bigger picture? And he's been seeing the big picture all along. But that's why he has to have people like Carver, who's the nice guy who can soften things up. Um, and before him, Maxwell, who died. Mm-hmm. Um And that's why those people won't tell him certain things. Like they never told him that Horace Gale was feeding in all the wrong calculations by accident because he just didn't look at stuff enough so that the shipboard computer messed up during the big Mars accident and Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Those people are having to kind of shade things and do what he would consider wrong because they know he can't do that. Right, right. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of nuance to this character. And when you were, when you were talking about um, the kids, you know, that most kids grow out of this. Where I thought you were going to go with that was, you know, near the end of the book, we see him as a kid, and oh, yeah. um, that stuff that he went through there, um, that fed into his character. <clears throat> and again, it's it's one of those stories where, um, you know, like you said, everybody did all the things and they're all in the right places at the right time. It's like he needed to be there as he was at that time mm-hmm. in order to do what he did. Right. And, yeah. and it's like his whole life led to that moment, you know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, that's what, you know, it feels destined. It feels like destiny it feels like, you know, um, almost, you know, like God had helped you be there. You know what I mean? You're talking about when he leaves home? Yeah, well, I'm talking he, about the entire, like his whole life, and then just everything that happened on this ship. And oh, everything right, that happened right, in the right, stories, right, right? right? If he wasn't him, oh, because, my gosh. partly because of yeah. what had happened when he was a kid, right? Um, yeah. I just think that that's, it's, he, he just, it just really fits in with the way I see things is at the worldview 
And, um, you know, whether he intended it to or not, I just kind of felt that from this. Well, yeah. And you know, what's funny is the childhood story made me think of the book we talked about, Hillbilly Elegy. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because he's really in that kind of an environment. And the one person who's there to save him is his grandmother. Mm. She's yep. the one who gave him books and gave him his old e or the old e-reader and, you know, taught him about music and taught him to dance and taught him the things that later would form the framework for everything he was doing, whereas every all the other adults and siblings and everybody around him were, um, well, they were lying to themselves. Mm. You know, they were just going for the quick fix, the easy thing that made you feel good. And um, he wasn't going to do that because she, and they resented her for acting like he was special when all he was was responding to what she said that mm. was true. Yes. And so I was thinking about that and how that author of that book goes off into the military, and that's what saves him. Mm-hmm. And in this sense, this guy goes off into the military, but we don't get shown anything about how he adapts. It sounds like he's already built his worldview about you're right or it doesn't matter, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And absolute honesty and really doing the job right is what needs to be done to make the world work. Right. And so the first story we get after he's run away like that, I mean, we don't know it at that time, but in that chronology, that's uh, Chuck's story. Mm. About both of them being in military training together. Right, right. Yeah, this is really just so well put together. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to require a second read. Um, oh, yeah. How did you enjoy the second read? I liked it, and mm-hmm. this was my third third one i think and i really liked this too yeah so you're seeing things um connect like that um yeah this is a book uh, well yeah c.s lewis's definition of a good one is one you want to (laughs) reread yeah so yeah mm -hmm. and what did he say uh this doesn't really apply to this except in the sense of maybe if you think you've read it once maybe it's an older book he says between every new book you read you should read an old book Mm. So either time-wise old, but I think what he really meant was reread something. That's super good advice. You know, I have heard that before, but I need to take that to heart. It's uh, hard to do, though. Yeah. The new shiny things are out there, and they're <laughs> the so fun, things. and they look so pretty. Yeah, so many books. Well, and the thing I liked about this book, too, reading it through, thinking about talking about some of this stuff, made me see how some of the basic values are in here that as Catholics, are so integral to how you live the faith. So um, things like when the captain is saying, this is during the big Mars uh, accident that happens, and he says, every one of us is essential to our survival. Hmm. And this is being said by Horace Gale, who is not a great guy. Right. He's sloppy. You know, and the person who's telling the story keeps going, well, whatever else you hear, and you're going to hear worse about this guy. He's a spacer underneath. He does the things that have to be done. And so one thing I like is, even though he is not great, but she recognizes he has this quality, and that's important. He's a good spacer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he does what has to be done. He he amputates <clears throat> the guy's leg. He gets rid of the body of the woman who died. Though I was thinking of it going into the reprocessor, and I was like, Ugh, no, <laughs> no, no, no. 
that's terrible. Yeah. But um, yeah. I didn't like that. But um, then he, though, is saying he wishes they could just leave the guy whose leg is amputated behind because he's just going to take up resources and they've got to – and fuel and they've got to take this um, – this vehicle and get across Mars to where all the other people are. And he says, but the captain says each one is essential to our survival. And he's deliberately saying it at a point when the guy's semi-conscious. And so later the person telling the story wakes up and they're underway. And that guy has the, with the amputated leg has gotten up and let himself out onto the surface of the planet so he can just go die. And the guy who, Gale, Horace Gale, is the one who was driving the ship at the time. Everyone else was asleep, and he let him do it. Mm, yeah. It's like he knew he was a liability. <laughs> right. And, of course, it turns out in the end, they go back to rescue him. Uh, and, of course, it turns out in the end, that guy was very essential. He was a meteorologist, and the storms that were coming up were going to kill him. Yeah. Oh, that's that's beautiful. And and I I do remember that. It it reminds me of the Martian, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, in the Martian we had uh someone who was trapped on Mars and it's like all these resources to go get that person. Um that's a beautiful thing, you know, it's it's like, you know, life is so precious. And yes. uh and the fact that here in this one, um, yeah, the person that was telling that story, wasn't it? Was she for some reason in my head, it's a she. Is that right? Yeah, it was a woman. Right, yeah. and she's like... It was the bosun <clears throat> Smitty, I think. Right, and she was like, yes, I'm was. going to get him, you know? So she's, they're out there, you know, and she says, you know, I have one hour. And she tells the 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 ship, she says, you guys leave in an hour if I'm not here in an hour, but you better not leave one minute before. Yeah. Um, and then goes to find this guy. It was, yeah, that that's inspiring stuff. And it's... It's like naturally correct. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like that's what we do. Um, And I think that it's right. Well, now I'm thinking about it, and it's interesting because she, another guy had already seen it happen and had gone out to try to catch him. So she turns the ship around, and she goes, um, gets there, and, you know, they can see the footprints. And she's like, okay, you wait here an hour. She goes. So those two people are helping the guy with the amputated leg come back. And they're struggling. And she's like, oh, my gosh, we've got eight minutes left. Oh, no. And uh, But they make it back. And the person who has fixed everything up inside so they'll have the equipment that they need to help them get going is Horace Gale, the one who didn't want to wait. Mm. And she had beaten him up and left him tied up with the <laughs> one other person kind of keeping a guard on him. And he talked him into untying him. But instead, he had used the time to fix the equipment so that it would be ready when they came back. And she said, what happened? And he goes, oh, I got some sense knocked into me or something like that. Or I, <laughs> I, I learned to see things a different way when I fell down and hit my head by accident. Mm. So he's not going to blame her for beating him up. And he was able to correct his vision. Mm. It doesn't mean he was great for the rest of the story. Right. But in right. that case, he understood what was going on. That's right. Yeah. And so I liked that too, that you Me can, too. Mm-hmm. even if you're not great, you can surface and have these moments of clarity and go, what was I doing? Yeah. And redeem yourself. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Love it. Loved it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, um, yeah, there's some murder mystery in this <laughs> with little nano machines. I mean, does it get better than this? Yeah. I mean, Agatha Christie <laughs> never mentioned nano machines once. 
on the Orient Express. <laughs> yes. Murder on the Aldrin Express. I love it. Yes. Um, but yeah. Um, and, and well done too. I mean, you know, good stuff. It, uh, it turned out well. <clears throat> and I, I liked Park Yerim as a character. Oh yeah. Um, the inspector general. Right. Mm-hmm. And how, uh, her solution to it, you know, that was interesting. Um, yeah. you know, Hey, you guys are a city. <laughs> you guys are your own little town. Uh, that was fascinating stuff. Well, and also because the loyalty to this guy, to Nick Games, the captain, meant they formed a community of people who understood each other. Mm-hmm. They understood each other in a way no one else could. Now, I'm, it's just not coming to me as we're talking. I'm thinking the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Any group is like that, right? You know, you have your own way of talking. You understand each other's in-jokes or whatever's going on or issues that outsiders don't get. But the way that group was so loyal to Nick Ames, when everybody else looks at him from the outside and goes, ugh, we can't stand him. He doesn't like authority. He thinks everything he does is right. And I'm just suddenly thinking of the Pope and the Catholic <laughs> Church. <laughs> and it's not the same thing, but it's kind of mm, the same thing, you know? Oh, my gosh, know? yeah. Um, yep. you're used to kind of looking at people and going, oh, they're never going to get in. These, these people who just think in a secular way in our modern world today, that's really rapidly drifting apart from a lot of Christian values or, or the things in the, the things that make the values we have in common, they don't see the Christian Christian part anymore. Mm, right. So they're not even coming at it from the same angle. Mm-hmm. Um, all that stuff. Yeah, it's hard to even understand each other speak, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're, we don't share the same bedrock. That is interesting from this, you know, this is a community that's formed around Ames, really. Um, mm-hmm. I know not everybody has a past with Ames, but um, all the people that we hear stories about, I mean, they've been through stuff, through stuff together, and he's helped them get through that. And... Um, has earned well, their trust. And everyone he's picked have been people who he chose for qualities that maybe everyone else didn't value. So the doctor mm. was somebody who'd gotten into a lot of trouble and blackballed because she insisted on telling the truth about something mm. and fighting it through in the courts until it was acknowledged and fixed. <laughs> and then no one would hire her, but he wanted her yeah. because he wanted somebody who would tell the truth <clears> and fight for it. So if he surrounded himself on that ship with people like that, not just to make his own little cadre, but just because these are the people he knows he can trust yep. and value. Right. And that's a throwback to Bones McCoy. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, like uh, you remember when they got to the movies, um, McCoy didn't want anything to do with it. And Kirk had to talk him into being there, you know, and they beamed him up and he had a beard and everything. <laughs> he was like, I don't even want to be here, you know. And then right. Kirk was like, but I need you, you know, I need you. And so it reminded me of that in, mm-hmm. a, in a good way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the way it is. It's like, I have some people that I need in order to make this work. Mm. That's great stuff. Because it's true, you know, you, you get that way. It's like, you know, at work and in church and everything like that. It's like when you when you get a little mission at church and you're like, okay, I need these people. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Right. These are, these are the people that I need um, to do yeah. this thing. So, 
I know who I can absolutely count on for stuff. Exactly. Exactly right. right. Yep. Yep. And it's well, nice to count on people and it's nice to be counted on. You know? <laughs> yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have earned people's trust. Right. And know that they value the same thing you value, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, um, and and that makes it sound like these people are just in an exclusive club, but my favorite story, and I'm, I want to know which one was your favorite too, but my favorite story is the first one that gets told, which is the one by the doctor about the rich <laughs> kid who gets Mars. on board. Love that huh? story. I love it. Yeah, Racing yeah. to Mars is what it's called. That's it. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where um, he doesn't believe in the nanos that are going to help his system fight radiation and everything. It's all just a load of, you know, hooey. And that's kind of like the anti-vaxxers today and stuff like that. And then he also is so rich, he's never had to do anything. And in fact, his father is sending him to Mars just to be a figurehead. He doesn't think he will actually be any good at anything. Mm -hmm. And just from the fact of him having to do a certain amount of exercise that will strengthen his system so that it can pretty much do for itself what the nanobots would have done for him without him trying anything is when he starts learning who am I, what can I accomplish? What do people think of me? How do I feel about myself in terms of, I know my father's just doesn't think I can even do this one thing. Hmm. The doctor's the only one who believes in him. Yep. Chuck's doesn't think he can do it. Chuck's is his bodyguard at that point. Um, <laughs> the captain thinks he'll quit. He just wants to see how far he can go because the captain's always about pushing you to the limit because he wants to know what can he count on you for. Mm-hmm. How far can you go? Yeah. And this kid goes all the way. I mean, he winds up being a mayor on Mars <laughs> yep. at the end of the book. Right. He's right. calling in his endorsement going, if you need anything for Nick Ames, here's my <laughs> recommendation. You know, fantastic. Yeah. But so you start to see here's how here's how people get formed Mm -hmm. into being the kind of people that the captain can trust or that know who they are so they know their own limits. Yeah. And isn't that kind of like um maybe I'm just maybe I'm making too many connections here. I don't know. (laughs) But here I am. Mm -hmm. Um I'm thinking of doing like the examine every night. Yeah. Where you stop and do your examination of conscience and go, how was my day? What was great in it? Ugh, what am I sorry for? I don't want to do that again. You know, God, what did you see there that I didn't see? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's part of knowing who you are, what your limits are, what you need to work on, and thinking, I can do better. You never yeah. stop, as far as I know, and go, well, there's nothing to be done about that. That's too bad. <laughs> right, right. I'm just going to bite people's heads off, and that's how it's going to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're right. just like, ugh, okay, that's something I have to pray about more and work on this virtue or something for more. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I, I love those thoughts. And in a hard science fiction novel, no less. Yeah. 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 And it surprises me, you know, like when I'm trying to pick a favorite here, um, it really has to be between two. Okay. And I don't know how to pick the two, but one oh. of them is one of them is not far enough, which is 
that one, you know, where they're on Mars and they've crashed. Mm-hmm. That's a good and, one. Uh, you know, that's just full of stuff that I love. You know, <laughs> they're surviving yes. on Mars. They're, you know, all this tech stuff is happening and, you know, trying to figure out how to put this thing back together. But the most powerful thing to me was the last dance, which was close to the end. And that was the story of Nick when he was young and the grandma. Um, mm. You know, um, there's just a lot there. And, and I read it, I was riveted, you know, um, I was riveted by it. And him and his uh, brother, I believe. Um, yes. When when he dropped that telescope, I gasped. I was like, <laughs> what are you doing, man? <laughs> oh, it broke yeah. my heart, you know. Not that the object was... Um, you know, this special telescope, but it was his grandma's, you know, and I felt that. I felt that all the way down when it happened. You know, it dropped it and yeah. it broke the, you know, the oh, eyepiece yeah. off. It was... Yeah. And then uh, very shortly after that, it was the e-reader, you know. That's and, the part that where my heart went. I was mm-hmm. like, the telescope, I get it. That was, that was terrible. But when it was the e-reader, I was like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. That's all his books and his music and his recordings of his grandmother, I think. And yeah, it was just, yeah. but it was, yeah. Yeah. It's what you want to have on hand if you're having to leave your burning house. <laughs> you know, you grab that on the way out the door. That's right. And isn't that an amazing thing, um, how, you know, with the e-reader, you've got all that content inside, right? With the telescope, right. it's like an object. And, oh, that's um, true. You know, when we think about these, like, uh, you know, relics in the church um, where we're, oh. I mean, you know, it's everything. I mean, why is that so important to us, you know? Um, nice one. It just is. You know? <laughs> There's just something all the way down that, that makes us feel that way. You know, like, uh, you know, I was, I was at the Dinosaur National Monument <laughs> just a few days ago. Touching oh. a dinosaur bone that was 147 million years old. Um, oh, man. You know, it, it's it's different to see it and to touch it, you know. It's just, um, there's just something about that. It's like the object is imbued with almost a spirit of whoever was using it. Um, well, when you think of a person. Or the dinosaur. Right, and then the I mean, dinosaur. I think exactly, that's a yeah. creature that was alive and moving and breathing and living its life Mm -hmm. and you're connected to it yeah and it's like throughout all this time we just intersected yeah you know yeah amazing amazing to think about it and then you know when i was talking about the object being imbued with the spirit you know it's just like that telescope i can feel how i could feel how important that was to him and it it wasn't because it was a telescope it was because it was hers you know right yeah. Right, exactly. It's like getting given someone's ring. Or someone's rosary. I have a rosary hanging on my Ooh. wall right here. Okay. Which is from my grandma, my great-grandma, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a, I don't know, take a quick aside, but I was on Ancestry.com, and I was, like, starting to build the little family tree. And someone contacted me out of nowhere and said, hey, I've noticed we have the same person. I have a box of this person's stuff. And it was my grandpa's mom. Wow. And he said, would you like me to mail it to you? And I was, of course I would like it. And in there was some rosaries um, along oh, with some other cool. things. Yeah, it was amazing. So, wow. Yeah, crazy. That is great. Yeah, I have, and I need to hang it up, but I'm always worried the wire is going to break. I have something that is, I guess I should take a picture and we could put it up. 
if anybody cared. Mm-hmm. But it's like a statue of Mary. Mm. But it's in this really elaborately carved box that's a wooden frame and a metal uh, frame inside of that and then glass and painted with gold paint or gold leaf or something and a, a painted background and everything. It's really pretty. Mm. And my mom said um, that it was always up in any house that my parent, my grandparents ever had. Now, by the time I knew them, if it was up, it was in his room, I guess. And so I never saw it because I didn't ever mm. go in there. But it's the same thing. It's this who looked at this and used this. Yeah. And um, and it, as as with all things Catholic, for both Tom's side and mine, people go, oh, it's Catholic. Uh, Tom and Julie, you want that, right? <laughs> you're, you're the ones who need that. Yes, yes. I love that. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Well, you know, and that's interesting because my second favorite, or maybe it vies, you know, because there's two kinds of stories. There's the science fiction stories. So mm-hmm. your favorite science fiction story might be the one on Mars, um, and mine is the one with the kid on the ship. But then there are the real-life type stories. And my favorite real-life type story was the one with Rosalia Moraes, mm. if that's how you say her name, <laughs> and who knows. Yes. But um, who's the admiral who later turns in her confession, her fake confession, to save him. Mm. And that one... The the idea of somebody like Nick Ames letting himself go to fall in love <laughs> is is incongruous until you read how well this is written, how they slide into it through this rivalry mm. of who's going to be better at doing their job. And yeah. she can be better at it, so he respects her too. And then she dances beautifully, <laughs> just like he does. And that's the link with the thing of beauty that he learned from his grandmother. Mm. You know, that's, and that's, that's such an ethereal thing too, dancing. You can't, it's not like an e-reader, you can't take it with you or a telescope, it's not an object, it's something you do and experience. And so for them to share that, um, it's a beautifully romantic story, but it's so well done in keeping with his character at the same time. Because then you think, who could possibly love this guy? (laughs) Well, somebody like her could. Right. Because she understands who he is. Yeah. And she's the one who tells the story about him and his grandmother and what happens after the grandmother dies. Right. And she has to know him that intimately. She's the only one who knows that story. Yep. That's how much he loves her. Yeah. And I'm thinking about the dancing um, really does fit his character. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, perfection, um, you know. He, I, th- I think he said imperfection gets people killed at one point, you know, so, yeah. so something yeah. like dancing is like this really rigid yet beautiful thing. You know, you want to get the steps right and uh, to know it is really rewarding. Um, but to me, it really fits him. Yeah. But once not you know obviously, it, not obviously right. But once you know it, it's like, wow. And, and once you know how to do the dance, then you can improvise. Exactly, right. Which is what they're able to do together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm thinking of this, and I always thought the last dance, of course, that's them, and, of course, at the very end, there's Mm -hmm. the, you know, the music goes on. But also, isn't the, um, I keep wanting to call it a shuttle, the, um, what is it? The cycler. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, when you think about it, isn't the cycler also doing a dance with the planets? Oh, I love that. Yeah. So very true. 
<laughs> now they're not oh, allowed to improvise yes. much, but it's when they send up the shuttles, you mm-hmm. know, to take people and but you know, it's an in, in infinite dance because as the planets move, this is moving with the planets. So mm. um it's I hadn't thought of that before, but Oh, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yep. Um yeah, that is that's the best. <laughs> Reminds me of Dante again. Um oh. so it's the very last lines of Paradiso. Yes. Um, at this point, power failed, high fantasy, but like a wheel in perfect balance turning, I felt my will and my desire impelled by the love that moves the sun and other stars. Yeah. Mm. Gosh. That's, That's so good. It is so good. And, and, and in the, in that cycler, you know, they kept adding these rings and, you know, the thing right. is spinning. So you've got gravity. I mean, that reminds me, remember... 2001 a space odyssey Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean space travel was so new and so they dwelled on those shots in the movie where you know there were whole whole shots just showing you someone run around a ring um you know stuff they wouldn't probably do today but um and to classical music um you know so it was like this beautiful thing that we're looking at this beautiful machine and um and you know it reminds me of those medieval uh uh what is this the circle in medieval life um music of the spheres yeah kind the of music thing, of the spheres or? but there's like there's like times when you're up and times when you're down you're it's like the circle oh, the of wheel of fortune wheel of fortune yeah yeah so it's kind of like that too where um you know you just have this interplay with the universe and a machine that someone made um beautiful stuff well, oh, that is beautiful. Gosh, mm. Scott, what a poet! I'm. <laughs> and hey, this well, is also, yeah, this is space, right? <laughs> <laughs> we have found his true love, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Outer space and uh, our science fiction. He can't say it beautifully enough. Uh, well, and when you were talking about two thousand and one, a space odyssey, of course, you know, there's the pl- there are the planets, right? The don't we mm. see the moon and the Earth yep, and everything yep. and. I haven't seen it in so, so long, but you know, the, these huge images and that's when you're hearing the classical music mm-hmm. and then the spaceship. Yep. And so it is very evocative of what this book is talking about, even though it doesn't talk about that kind of thing much, but at the very end, there is a beautiful part where she's been, uh, Park has been working in his office. That beauty that you're talking about is something that Captain Ames loves also. Hmm. And it's nobody else talks about all that stuff. I mean, every so often they go, and then this was not, you know, this was great looking at Mars and the the storm coming and everything. But the thing that you're rhapsodizing about that I feel also is that feeling of when you're out somewhere really dark and I don't get to be there very Hmm. much because I live in Dallas and you look up and the stars are all over the sky and it's oh, the Milky Way amazing. and it's so beautiful yeah. and you're just filled with the awe of God's power <laughs> and what he did. And you, I always remember what uh, Cardinal Chaput said in his book where he said that um, a father t- took his daughter out and showed her that and said, God made the world beautiful because he loves us. Mm. And that is actually not in those words, but that love of that is in this book. Yes. In one little bit. And you found it. I did. I did. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'll read uh, three paragraphs here. 
But as my eyes adjusted, I realized I wasn't in total darkness. A shadow moved up upon the desk, a shadow of me cast by a dim light behind me. I turned and looked at the giant window on the rear wall. The sun was somewhere to my right, beyond the window's edge, so it wasn't the source of the shadow. No, the light that cast the shadow was from a million stars strewn across the window from edge to edge in an irregular band. Since IGs aren't expected to be explorers, I had had only one basic astronomy course, but I even I re- recognized the Milky Way. Never had I seen it so bright and so clear, though. Hongchun was a rainy province, and even when we saw the stars, it was through the thick blanket of Earth's atmosphere. And on Farport, I had been too busy for stargazing. But here, the main mass was a white-yellow haze within which I could pick out many tiny pinpricks of light. But I knew from my course that the entire haze was made up of stars, billions of them so distant that my eye could only see them as collective glow. Obscuring most much of that glow were dark swirls of cosmic dust like some giant tangle of hair. And everywhere, shining through the dust, Standing out against the haze and scattered around the main band were brighter stars like jewels decorating the blackness. They were mostly white and shades of blue and white, but there were also countless dots in red and yellow and occasionally orange. Closer to hand was a large, creamy yellow dot that had to be Jupiter, I guessed. And closer still, behind us but a little to the lower right, was a tiny bright blue crescent. Near it was a smaller white crescent, Earth and Luna, the sister planets, spinning peacefully on their annual voyage around the sun. And as I sat there and stared in open-mouthed wonder, I knew this was why Ames had had his office all in black. It wasn't an escape from society. It wasn't a reflection of his dark personality. It was simply the best way to experience this miracle of a universe, where humanity was taking its first cautious steps off our home world. This is where the real Nick Ames lived. Love it. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, and it's, um, I love how uh, he said, he being the author, he said, obscuring much of that glow were dark swirls of cosmic dust like some giant tangle of hair. Mm-hmm. What, that, what that evokes for me is like all of the humanity's history looking up at the mm. sky and saying there are gods up there and there are gods, you know, and, and this thing is a person with a sword and this is like a thing that we can pour water out of, you know what I mean? But to yeah. look at cosmic dust and see like a tangle of hair, it's like, it, it just evokes <laughs> that, you know? You're right. It's yeah. that because we can't help but look at things and interpret them as pictures and story and art. Yeah. Um. It's us making sense of stuff. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's us making sense of it and remember it so you can remember it. And he says that, and it it not only evokes all those things you're talking about, but it helps us to see, mm. you know. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. yeah. Such a good book. And I'm, I already enjoyed it. And I picked it because as the end of the summer blockbusters, I guess, <laughs> because I just thought this is the kind of book you could just pick up, take and, uh, you know, to the beach or yes. just on vacation or just light reading, really. Mm-hmm. But what makes it such a good book that's worth rereading is all this stuff is kind of just woven into the base points of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because a story has to have something real in it. For sure. 
Yeah. It's forgettable. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And this one, yeah, he manages, he pulls all that in. That's mm-hmm. great. This is really something. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the one last thing I wanted to say is Inspector General Park shows through this book, she's finding her way. And she is just as competent as anybody that Captain Ames would ever hire <laughs> for himself. Right. And she figures out, what do I have to do to get the real picture? I'm not going to let people bully me. Here's how my authority works here. Here's how I'm allowed to do things. And dealing. And she's tangling with people who are way over her pay grade. <laughs> you know? Yep. And then the way she reacts when her family's being threatened. Because as it, as it, it's always about money, isn't it? <laughs> as it turns out, it's about money versus mm. what's right. And Captain Ames is standing up for what's right, and the other people want money, and so they're trying to shuffle him out of the way yeah. so they can just do what they want, and it's going to be unsafe, not worthy to have people on, all the things. And um, what I liked was it came down to, uh, for her, once her family gets threatened, you know, of course, she's very upset, as anybody would be, but her um, father sends her a message from Korea where he's in the mm-hmm. rice trade. And he was saying all their contracts have been canceled. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're nice. I don't know where I'm going to sell my rice or what's going to happen. And um, she was getting ready to respond. And it's just a message she's listening to. And it says, again, I reached for the reply window, but father's words stopped me. Again, daughter, do not let this concern you. The honor of the Park family cannot be bought at any price. Hmm. I do not know what you have done to upset Mr. Holmes, but I trust that it was the right thing, and your mother and I will be proud of you when we learn it. Hmm. Do not waver now. There are always hungry people in the world, and I shall find buyers for my rice. We shall never find another daughter like you, Yerim. Park out. Wow. That's so great. And really, Nick Ames is talking about what's doing things the right way and everything. But what it really comes down to is living with honor. Mm. The honor is its own reward. The honor is doing what you're supposed to do. Even if it's hard. Mm. Even if you have to upset people. And that's what he's looking for. That's just awesome. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I love that. Yep. He's not calling it that. But that's what it boils down to. And that's what everyone recognizes. They're defining it by his terms mm-hmm. every time they talk about him. But he's looking for honor. Yes. And there's only a handful of people who have it. But he finds them and, and draws them to him and helps make them even better than they were before because he keeps mm-hmm. pushing them. And it makes me think of all those saints and martyrs who, you know, you look at it and you go, man, I am glad that I my soul is so small, I guess, that I get to live a much more comfortable life. Thank you. Mm, yes. But the people that are pushed that far who respond, who go, who do it for God because they know he's real. They love him and they know he loves mm. them. And they can't do what's not right. They can't be dishonorable. They have to testify to the truth. That's what this is about in mm. that sense. Absolutely right. Yes. And that's why we like the relics Mm. (laughs) and the rosaries of our great-grandmothers Yes, and all those things, because those people we know, (laughs) and that's something we want to be part of. Right. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. 
I also love, you know, almost choke up when, you know, you read park out at the end, right? Because that's what she says. You know what I mean? It just, it makes me happy because it's like, you know, she's said it a couple of times throughout the, the thing. And then, you know, her dad uses that same Yeah, phrase. you're right. Just I didn't think that. of that. It's beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, just well done. Yeah. Yeah. Now, she's lucky she had a family who taught her that. Yeah, no doubt. He yeah. Had to, uh, mm. Nick Ames had to teach himself, and so there's another contrast and comparison here. Mm. She'll go on and do great things, and that's why he trusts her in the end, to yeah. be smart enough to figure out what he thinks is right, to do the right thing, because he's been hearing reports of how she's been talking to people and gathering information and doing stuff the whole time. That's terrific. Beautiful book. Thank you for finding it. (laughs) Thank you for picking it out of the Amazon. (laughs) I I don't know how one picks it out of the ocean of books that there is, you know. Yeah, they have their little list of things. And so every so often one will appeal to me enough that I'll go read the sample. And since it's free, I'm not, you know. Risking anything, but it is, there are so few that are appealing to Oh, me, there are so few, you know? especially new books, you know. Um, I think I've spoken of this before on the podcast, but it just seems like the, the new science fiction books, um, I've really, uh, I, I guess I'm just not connected with them. You know, there's right. there's just a lot of books that I, uh, I don't get through. Um, and I have... It's probably been two or three years since I've really tried to connect that way again. Um, even though I, it bums me out, <laughs> you know, I yeah. want to, I want to be, you know, so it's just like, uh, but every now and then there's an exception, you know, and this is completely one of them. And, uh, um, I, I think the last one that I read that I really liked that was modern actually won a Hugo, I believe is a memory called empire by Arkady oh, Martin. Okay. I liked it. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah. But I also, I just don't bother. And I, I did, it doesn't bother me. I just go, well, they're not writing them the way I like them yeah, anymore. That's I mean, very it's true. Like, it's like mysteries. Yeah. Most mysteries are, are way too edgy and way too, um, I don't know. They they're, they like to show me gore. They like to set up situations I don't care about, mm-hmm. you know. And every so often, I'll find some that are really more what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. you know, cause the ones that try to be cozy are just too simple Yeah, or all about the romance or, you know, so it's, it's just hard to find the right one. So I'm really glad you liked this one. Yeah. yeah Thank you for picking it. I'm sure that you, you were like, Scott's going to like this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. And I did. It has your name written all it over it. This was a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, they just explained an orbit. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, this this essay in the beginning, well, I'm skipping it, but Scott's going to read it five times before he goes like, on okay, with the book. Okay, what was the paper that he wrote? 1985? Okay. Love it. Love have it, you love read it. it? No, I Did have not. I, I need to okay. find it. I need to find that paper. But, um, but yep, I love it. It's called yeah. uh, Guidance for Manned Orbital Rendezvous. Yeah. Yeah, so I'll get you a copy. Thank you. Is there a Wikipedia summary? You know, those three sentences at the beginning of the entry. I'll take that. Oh, yeah, you bet. I'm sure there is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, too fun. Too fun. Okay, well, what's next up for us? Hmm. This is going to be our our feed on the planet, Uh, mostly. Oh, It's Ted Ted Lasso, season one. 
Oh. <laughs> I can't wait. Oh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Fun to talk about, you know. Only season so one. The only thing I that cannot. A, yeah. I'm sorry. The only thing that it. approaches space is soccer. No. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my too, gosh. Too good. But yeah. Yeah. Too funny. We'll have fun with this one. I'm looking forward yes. to it. Yes, it's All a right. lot of fun. And it's deal. you can get it on, I guess most people have seen it or know mm-hmm. already, but you can get it on Apple TV. Apple TV. And that's the only place. Yeah. They're not letting anyone have that thing but them. <laughs> you bet, you bet. Well, yeah. good deal. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah. And we'll uh, catch you in a couple weeks. Yeah, talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.